The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you, Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you look at the polls and the trends, I'm here to tell you that you have very little reason to hope that Christianity will hold sway much longer. There just aren't enough of us. And those of us who dare to call ourselves Christians in honor of the God-man who bled and died for us are often timid when we need to be strong and silent when we need to speak. The vast majority of those under 40 do not go to church, and they have worldviews that float somewhere between postmodern philosophy and Marvel comic book movies. In other words, it's hard to make much headway when the plot of the Avengers has become our moral compass. But in the gospel lesson today, Jesus gives us some hope. It isn't always the first wave of people who should believe that do. Sometimes it's those who come along and change their mind. So the trends in the polls might tell us to despair, but perhaps we have been thinking about things all wrong. Perhaps it is those who say to the Father, I will not work in the vineyard, who soon will be. Yes, sometimes things happen in a way that we do not expect. We think that things will go along on this same path, but then something causes that path to divert. We often lack imagination to see how things could be different. Or we lack the courage to work towards change. We have a bias towards the present, which tells us that the way we've ended up was just how we were destined to be, and the way things will end up in the future, therefore, is the same. 
Or we think that past disruptions in history, things like wars and tumults and depressions and whatnot, well, those things are can't happen in the future because we're immune from that. It already happened in the past. It's like a disease. You know, we got inoculated, and it won't happen again. We think, woo, we dodged a bullet. We weren't born in the 1920s. We were born in the 1970s. Thank heavens, you know. So what happened in the 20s uh, in the generation following? Well, that, that could never happen to us, you know. Once history has checked the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression and uh, World War II, you know, off the list, you know, they, they won't come back and revisit us, right? But of course they can. Both good and bad events can sort of repeat in history. For example, World War I turns out not to be the war to end all wars, as it was said at the time. The sequel was worse. Just because we had one Great Depression doesn't mean we, you know, learned our lessons from it, uh, only to avoid it. On the other hand, America has experienced great revival uh, in the past. We've had several so-called Great Awakenings. The first was uh, the great preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and uh, John Wesley and many, many others in the mid-1700s. And then the second was where you sort of saw the rise of revivals and enthusiasm and actually many things I'm not a huge fan of. I think we've also had many other mini sort of awakenings, like after World War II, you saw the dramatic expanse of the footprint of the church. And uh, even Billy Graham, you know, they let him have a column in the newspaper every week. But in terms of numbers and influence, it's pretty much been downhill since the 1960s. Those who should be serious, practicing, believing Christians who had seen the good world that Christianity can produce, who had observed the order and peace and charity that are the fruits of the Christian church, well, they slowly backed away. They stopped attending church, which made it less and less likely that their children and grandchildren would. Many Americans, and of course I'm surely painting with a very broad brush here, uh, from about the mid-60s to maybe the late 90s were kind of like the Pharisees in the gospel lesson that Jesus is clearly pointing to, who should have known better and who say that they will work in the vineyard and who probably think that they are. They are the ones who said yes to Christianity, but maybe they didn't count the cost. So the intensity was lost. The hard answers you have to give to honor Christ were not given. Kind of a little hedge here and a little hedge there, and before long there wasn't much left of Christianity. Institutions were given over to supposedly neutral interests. Christianity was assumed at best, it's always dangerous to assume things as we know, and denied at worst. So the answer was yes. Yes, Dad, I'll go work in the vineyard today. But the work wasn't done, the hard work. And their children, people my age, well, now they're saying, no, I actually have no interest in the vineyard at all. I want nothing to do with the vineyard. 
But might those who are saying no today find their way into the vineyard, as the first son does in the parable? Might the attempted cultural revolution that we're all living through spur them to consider setting aside their comic book theology and their Wikipedia philosophy and ask whether that is actually, you know, sufficient to, you know, build a society or a life? Might the persistent loneliness, it's an epidemic we are told, or anxiety or relationship failures lead them to reconsider whether or not Christianity was too hastily thrown off? Might the law of God, written on the heart, uh, the unresolved guilt for past sins, or the yearning to know their creator, cause some to ask if they have assumed too much, and maybe they'll seek to see what the Bible actually says for themselves? Well, I certainly hope so. Because the success or failure of this attempted cultural revolution that we are living through is totally dependent on whether that generation will change its mind or not. And then on whether we will welcome them into the fold. If I have not been clear enough, let me say it clearly. Uh, my children and grandchildren living in something that resembles a Christian society is totally dependent on whether those who are saying no to tending the vineyard today will or will not change their mind in the years to come. That might sound a little gloomy, or it might sound like a long shot, but of course, with God, all things are possible. Like I said, history doesn't always go the way that the poles or the trends say, things change. For example, just to put it at the micro level, an example of someone who uh, never could have assumed to have changed did, and that's a John Newton. That name is probably familiar. He's the author of Amazing Grace and many, many other hymns. He was a very well-known uh, pastor in his own day and author. And you probably know that he was a slave trader before his conversion and even after his conversion to Christianity. He was uh, put on the ships as a young man in England, uh, and he just found his way into the slave trade, and for many uh, years was involved in buying and selling human uh, beings. In fact, at one point, I guess a deal went wrong. He ended up being enslaved in Western Africa and had to be rescued on a daring mission. And eventually, he came to see that either the slave trade could go or his faith could go, but they could not exists simultaneously. And so the trade was disavowed, and he went on to be an influential author uh, and hymn writer in his own day, and of course beyond. The father said to him, go into the vineyard, and he said no. And for decades, if any of the abolitionists pointed to John Newton and said, this guy one day is going to be a major leader in your movement, they would have laughed and said, no way, that's impossible. The guy's making all this money as a slave trader. But he changed his mind. While the established Christians justified slavery. Let me give some examples of changed minds that will make a tremendous difference in what our world will look like in the years to come. As we're studying in Sunday school, 
I certainly hope that lawyers and judges and politicians of the future will embrace a Christian worldview and biblical law as they form an understanding of justice. The uh, current combination that's in vogue of something like identity politics and economic Marxism just isn't going to cut it. Changed minds will save Christian churches and communities from disappearing from cities and towns and intersections all over America, which they're doing at a rate of many, many thousand per year. Churches that minister to the souls of the lost, souls that can be healthy and productive if shown the gospel. Changed minds can reorient our culture to be one that refuses to break the bonds between a parent and a child. Schools in particular, at every age level, have many teachers who would love to disavow children of what they're being taught at home. In fact, I heard a story the other day of a, some parents who worked with cult deprogrammers on their daughter who had gone off to college and fully bought into Marxist philosophy, rejected her own parents, and, and they had to help her get out of what they considered to be a cult because the separation between parent and child of a college-age girl was that strong. Changed minds in the marketplace will help us to know whether or not we are getting good value and honest labor for our hard-earned money. Changed minds in the entertainment industry will create content that offers a challenge to the usual drivel produced by Hollywood. So yes, changed minds are needed, and they may very well be the future of Christianity. That would <clears throat> be hard to believe, given the polls and the trends, but imagine how hard it would have been for the Pharisees to believe that the true followers of uh, in the kingdom of God, the true followers of God, those who tr are truly obedient to God, were the tax collectors and prostitutes which is exactly what Jesus says to their face. And that's the good news, that God can work through ordinary people, one heart at a time, just like he has worked through you and through me. Let us look to the future then with joy and anticipation as to how God will revive a post-Christian culture with those who have changed their mind and said yes to God. Amen.